Hello, everybody. How are you? Yeah. It's great to see you here in this room. Love to see this room filling up. And uh, love to see you out there in whatever room that you are in. Thanks for being a part of this. And want to give a shout out to Mabel Rekume. And so everybody give our online audience a hand. Love to do that. So good to be with you guys. Uh, we are in week two of this series called One. And we've been saying that this is more than a series to the Gospel of Mark. It's an integrated spiritual journey that we are taking with other churches and cities all around the world as we unite around the Word of God. And I want to keep reminding you that there are six ways that you can actually participate in this. And they're built around these very, very important words. Pray, listen, watch, gather, sponsor, and invite. Okay? Uh, pray every single day leading up to Easter. And you can download the prayer guide and, and some articles that you can read to kind of help you engage with that. Listen every day to a section of the Gospels through the Bible.is app, and you can download that on our website. Watch. Uh, be a part of a watch group. And if you are already in a life group or a, a growth group, that's already going to happen automatically. We, but we also have like seven or eight virtual watch groups that you can be a part of on Zoom, and so you can sign up for that, and we'll show you a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, and then gather. Keep doing this and keep doing that out there as we gather around and teach through the gospel of Mark leading up to Easter. And then sponsor. One billion people in the world do not have access to the Bible because they can't read. And so we want to put an audio version uh, in the hands of a people group who don't have access to the Word of God, and you can invest above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings to be a part of that. And then finally, invite. Uh, the theme for this whole thing has been one invites one, okay? You don't have to invite 10. You don't have to invite 100. Just invite one other person to take this journey with us, and I believe God's going to do something. We have a big vision, uh, one word, one church, one Lord, and we think as we invest ourselves and immerse ourselves in the Word of God and in this journey, God is going to bring about transformation and revival in our personal lives, in our families, in our community, as we are telling the story of Jesus that culminates in the celebration of the greatest event in human history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about that. If you are not involved, uh, go to zarephath.org slash one, and you can sign up and download and be a part of this and get on board with the journey. Well, today's message is called Hope. And if you have a, a Bible with pages that turn or a screen that scrolls, let me invite you to get over to Mark chapter 1. We're going to cover the first 13 verses today. If you have the ZCC app, highly recommend that you open that up. Uh, if you'd like to see all the passage laid out, some fill-in-the-blanks and some other things that will help you get a little bit more out of your experience. Anybody have a problem here with waiting? Yeah. Um, well, you know, every once in a while, God tries to kind of teach us something about waiting, and there was a guy who God was trying to teach a lesson to, and he, and he had this encounter with, with this man, and, and the man was trying to kind of work God, and he said, uh, hey, God, what is a, a million years to you? And God said, about a minute. And the guy said, what's a million dollars to you? And God said, about a penny. And the guy said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, just a minute. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. All right. On a more serious note, okay, 
Have you ever had something your heart hoped for get delayed? You know, your heart was set on it. You wanted it so badly. It was a noble thing. Maybe you longed for a child and you've been trying, you've been trying, you've been trying, and you got the results back and you looked at it and it's negative for the fifth time. Or maybe you wanted to buy a house and you went through all the paperwork and all the processes and you were falling in love with this place only to find out that the bank said, no, you don't qualify. Or maybe you've been longing for a promotion. You've been really investing deeply in your company and you thought uh, it was your time and your boss came to you and said, not this time. You know, those kinds of things, you know, they, they, they make you, well, the, the writer of Proverbs put it this way. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know what I mean? Just something inside of you when what you're longing for keeps getting pushed back. And this happens to individual people, but it also happens to people groups. And if there was ever a people group that experienced hope deferred, it was the nation of Israel. If you know the story of God, you know that somewhere around 2091 BC, God appeared to Abraham and he said that he was going to build a great nation through him and his wife, Sarah, even though Sarah was 80 years old and barren and, uh, and Abraham was 100 years old. But he said, not only am I going to build a great nation through you, but the one who's going to bless all nations is going to come through you. So they get excited about that, but it took 25 years for Isaac to actually be born. And though their heart was filled with a little bit more hope, they realized we're running out of time. <laughs> we're old. And if you fast forward toward the end of the New Testament, it is uh, 400 B.C. And the long-awaited Messiah had still not come. The promise was there, but the Messiah wasn't there. 1,691 years after the promise, he still wasn't here. Hope was being deferred. When you come to the closure of the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament, the last prophet to actually speak was a prophet by the name of Malachi. And Malachi said that the next prophet who comes is going to be the one who's going to introduce the world to this Messiah, this one that everybody had been waiting for, this one who was going to do something that was going to address the number one main issue of humanity, and he was going to do something that would bring people back to God. And so this prophet Malachi put it this way. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then uh, He is introduced to us who this messenger actually is. He, he's, going to, he's going to prepare us for who is actually coming. And when you read that passage right there, you're like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. I mean, he's coming, right? So when's he coming? Is he coming Monday? Is he coming next month? I mean, when is he actually going to come? And then as soon as Malachi actually wrote these words, guess what happens next? God goes dark. 400 years of silence. No word from God. No prophet speaking to the people of God. No hope for the people of God. You talk about hope deferred. 
And during these 400 years, things get worse for Israel. The Greeks take over from the Persians. The political climate was so hostile that they prevented the Hebrew people from actually practicing their religion. They just shut it all down. They actually went into the temple and, uh, uh, and sacrificed pigs on the altar and defiled the temple. Then in 167 BC, there was a revolt and they fought for seven years to regain their independence and to get the temple back. And finally, in 160 BC, they were victorious. They got the temple back where they could worship God again. And to this day, they celebrate something called Hanukkah as a commemoration of the victory that they had on that day. But it wasn't over for Israel. They kept getting pushed back because in AD 63, Rome had taken over the world. Rome had come into the Holy uh, Land, into the provinces of the Holy Land, into the Holy City of Jerusalem, and they had locked it down essentially. It was basically uh, military occupation from Rome. And so this people who had been longing so much for this Messiah, at some point, they had to shift from hope deferred to hope lost. I think it's over. And then in A.D. 26, something happened. Hope was right around the corner. Somebody appears on the scene, and Mark is about to unveil it. The Gospel of Mark actually opens with these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news. Boy, Israel could use some good news. 2,117 years this hope has been deferred, and now something is about to happen. It's what Isaiah had actually prophesied hundreds of years before, and it goes like this. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And in the very next verse, we are introduced to this messenger. Mark says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer is really a better translation, lest anybody who is a former Baptist would be able to say, well, I trust my, trace my roots all the way back to the original John the Baptist. That's not his name. Baptizer is a function of what he did. It was a title. He was John, the guy who was baptizing people. But the fulfillment of John actually coming gave confidence to the people of God at that day and to us that the one that he was getting ready to announce was in fact the true Messiah. But this John guy, he's different. He's not what everybody expected. In fact, Mark kind of describes a little bit of his way. He says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair. Not really a fashion statement. With a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locust and wild honey. Hopefully, he covered the locust with the wild honey, right? 
I mean, so this guy, he's a little bit of a wild man. He probably looks something like this. Probably a little worse than this, honestly. Probably never took a bath. Probably had a giant afro. His beard was probably a lot longer than that. And he was just kind of one of those guys, if you ever met, you would be scared to death. He's one of those guys who's kind of living off of the land, eating off of the land. He's one of those guys who's uh, so out there that you wonder if he's all there. You know what I'm talking about? You, you've met people like this. And, and, and he's, he's got this following. Everybody is flocking to him. And, and there's probably in the back of some people's mind, is, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one? But he's very, very careful to cut that off and say, no, 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 I'm not the man. He actually puts it this way. He says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the, say it, the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Like, what are you talking about there? Baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, something different is going on with this Jesus than was going on with this guy, John the Baptist. And as soon as John is having this conversation, Jesus walks up to him, actually enters into the water, and he says, I want you to baptize me. And John the Baptist is like, no, 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 wait, 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 no. Who am I to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. But Jesus said, no, this is what needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. And so he goes into the water, he's baptized, he comes up out of the water, and Mark said this is exactly what happened. He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, not a dove. So whenever you see a picture of a bird on Jesus, that's not what this is talking about, okay? It's a simile. It means it's like a dove. In the way that a dove comes down, the Spirit came down and lighted on Jesus. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Wow. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, bang, the Olympic starting gun goes off and Jesus is set to start fulfilling his mission. It's going to take three years for him to get done everything that he wants to get done to ultimately fulfill his destiny. And there's going to be all kinds of twists and turns, so hold on tight. There's going to be a lot of drama. There's going to be some cliffhangers in there. And all of this is going to unfold as, as we see Jesus bursting onto the scene and what God is going to be doing in and through him. And this is kind of where it all started. Mark says, at once the Spirit, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Wait, what? 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 Immediately, at once, he goes out and he's tempted by Satan. Any Jewish person would be going, wait, whoa, 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 time out. That's not what should be happening here. The Messiah is here. Shouldn't he be on Amazon shopping for crowns or something? I mean, isn't this what the Messiah does? This is, he's here. He shouldn't be out there with Satan. What's going on here? Why is this the very first thing that the Spirit does? 
And we're going to get back to that. But the first thing I want to do is I want to clarify two very, very important things about baptism. And this is going to get a little bit thick. So buckle up and start kind of leaning in or I'm probably going to lose you somewhere along the way. First, what is the baptism of John about? It's all about preparation. It's about preparation. John's baptism of repentance with water was to get people to get ready and acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge that they had broken God's law, to acknowledge that they were separated from God, and that they would be baptized as a way of turning away, okay? Repentance is simply a word that means about face. It's going this direction when you were going the other direction, okay? So he's like, do an about face. You were going this way, now go that way. Change your mind and change the way you respond to this new information. And this new information is God is coming. What will you do with your life now that you know that God is coming? So here's the what. The what is John's baptism looked forward to Jesus, who by his death would make possible the forgiveness of sins. It was a preparation. It wasn't the final baptism. It wasn't a completed baptism. Let me see if I can make a parallel. Many of you uh, perhaps grew up in the Catholic faith, okay? And maybe you were baptized as an infant, right? That is what would be considered an unfinished or an incomplete baptism, okay? Now, I think it's really cool that your mom or dad introduced you and, and the priest poured the water over you and they said some words over you and that like, we want this child to, to be raised in faith. That's really, really important and wonderful. However, that baptism doesn't save you, okay? Because an infant doesn't have the capacity to express faith. When your parents had you baptized, that was their decision. But for you to be baptized in the way that Jesus is talking about, that has to be your decision. This is exactly what is going on here. John baptized with water to prepare people. Jesus baptized people with the Holy Spirit to complete people. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, see, the Holy Spirit really wasn't even around. He wasn't indwelling anybody. The Holy Spirit didn't come until Acts chapter 2, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell His followers, to empower His followers to carry out His ministry. So in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes to earth, but not everybody had received the Holy Spirit because they had only been baptized by John, and many people didn't even know about Jesus. They were in outlying areas. And so when Paul, the apostle, is in Ephesus, he comes across 12 guys who had been baptized by John. And in a conversation, he picks up on something and he says, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So he begins to explain to them about uh, the birth, the life, the death of Jesus, His resurrection, and how He empowers everybody who believes in Him with His Spirit. And so they came, He confirmed their belief, they believed on Jesus, uh, they inherited the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwelt them, and then Paul baptized them with water, and all of a sudden now they're in a right relationship with God, they're given eternal life, everything is right. But that was different 
than the baptism of John. In the same way, you and I can receive the Holy Spirit when we believe. You don't receive the Holy Spirit by getting baptized. Baptism by water is an expression that you've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of your conversion when you believe. And so the Holy Spirit comes inside of you not only to empower you to live the life that He's called you for, but to also protect and secure you. The Apostle Paul uh, explains it this way. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, so when you receive the gospel, that makes you saved. Okay, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes inside you. When you believed, he said, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So, when you believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus that Mark is talking about, the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus, indwells you, and He secures you and protects you from anything that is trying to separate you from the love of God. This is why when you go into Romans chapter 8, there's a whole lengthy chapter there, and it culminates on neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you and guarantees your salvation. Nobody can take that away from you. That's the good news of the Spirit. That's the what, okay? And, and here's kind of the so what on that one. The so what is we all need to acknowledge our need for Jesus. It's not enough to kind of have a baptism of repentance where you just go, oh, man, I'm sorry, or man, I screwed up again, or man, I wish you didn't do that, or God, I'm sorry. If you get me out of this jam, I'll change my life, da 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 We all do that. That's not enough. That's kind of a looking forward thing. You all have to come to the point, all of us, where we acknowledge our need for Jesus now and do something with that. And, and kind of the big aha question here is, have you? Have you acknowledged your need for Jesus? Have you received the forgiveness of sins? Because the, re, the, 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 the forgiveness of sins Yes, it's a gift made possible by the work of Christ on the cross, but it's still something that every single person has to reach out and receive. It's a decision that you have to make. And if you're tracking with me right now, this idea that the reason a person gets baptized by water now is because they have already received the forgiveness of sins. It's an expression that they've been forgiven. If you're tracking, a, a question should be forming in your mind right now. You should kind of be asking yourself, so, whoa, 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 why did Jesus get baptized then? He never sinned. Why does he even need to get baptized? He's not going, okay, I've trusted in myself. <laughs> no, he's not doing that at all. You see, the reason that Jesus got baptized was it was really inauguration. 
This was kind of, uh, you know, what happened here. When, when a person takes an office, whether you are a king or a president or whatever the case might be, you are inaugurated. You are recognized as the person who is supposed to be in this position, and you are now commissioned to do the work you've been entrusted to do. This is what is going on here. And so, in Jesus' baptism, you have this incredible inauguration. The Holy Trinity is present at this inauguration. 2,117 years after the promise, hope is actually on sight. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are there. This is an important day. And let me take you back to the Jordan River, and let's just look at this text again. Jesus saw heaven torn open, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, and the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my Son, okay, the Father, first person of the Trinity, whom I love, with you I am well pleased." Here's what's going on there at the inauguration. The Son is baptized. The Father is confirming the Son's identity, and the Spirit is empowering Him. The Spirit comes upon Him, and He's with Him wherever He goes. Here's the interesting thing, though, about the Spirit. You don't always see Him. He's subtle but He's always at work behind the scenes in the life of Jesus. Anybody like these movies right here? Marvel movies? Yeah, you like a Marvel movie? Some of our favorite actors are in there, a lot of great action, great storytelling. Do you know the one person who is in every Marvel movie? Yeah, the one person is this guy right here, Stan Lee. Like, Stan Lee, what hero is he? He's not. In fact, you're like, I don't, I've never seen him. Go back and watch every single one of them. He's in there. And the reason that Stan Lee is in there is because Stan is one of the founders of Marvel Comics. And when the movie studios wanted the rights to those comics, not only were they going to pay him, you know, a truckload of cash, but he had one other thing. He's like, oh, yeah, there's just one other thing. Um, I want to be in every movie. And they said yes. And so he's in every single movie. He's kind of in the background, kind of like a cameo. You know, he's not a major character, and he's normally in there for about two or three seconds. But there is not a Marvel movie without Stan Lee. And when you look at the life of Jesus, his story, his film, there is not a move without the Holy Spirit. You don't always see him, he's not always present. He's subtle. He's in the background, but He's always there. It was the Spirit who led, literally drove Jesus into the wilderness. It was the Spirit that enabled Jesus to perform all of His miracles. It was the Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave. He did all of these things. You say, what are you you talking about? I thought Jesus did all that on His own. No, no, no. And if you read this in in, uh, Philippians chapter 2, which says Jesus emptied Himself, what does that mean? It means He surrendered His divine prerogative to always act like God in every moment on earth. 
because he was 100% God, he was 100% man. And he did not choose to leverage his divinity every time he was on earth. He always submitted himself to the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. He made himself vulnerable in that way. And the cool thing about that is now you can identify Jesus in a different way because we have access to the same will of the Father. We have access to the same power of the Holy Spirit, and we can live the life that Jesus lived because of that. That's good news. So the what about Jesus is he was baptized so that the Father could confirm his identity and the Spirit could empower his ministry. That's what that baptism is really all about. And in Mark's gospel, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is not only going to pay for our sins, he's going to show us how to live in relationship to the Father and to the Spirit, just like he did. This is why you lean in. Now, the so what of that is that we cannot live as sons and daughters of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You're like, oh, I'm doing it. No. You're not living the life that God has called you to. You're not living to your full potential. You're not living full of the power of God in your life. And one of the reasons why we are confused, why we are fearful, why we are anemic in our lives is because we live too much on our own. We are not living in brokenness. We are not living in deep dependence upon God. We are not living the kind of life that says, there's no way I could do this without God's help. And so we shrink our visions down to the point where we, we can live this life. We can put the bar so low that this can be accomplished on a human level. But God's like, I want you to put the bar up here and I'm going to fill in the gap with my power if you'll only do that. This is what we're talking about. God wants to do more. So let's back to this kind of original idea. Uh, why in the world did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? This is all about confirmation. This is all about confirmation. Now, at first glance, it seems kind of weird that this would be the very first thing that would happen. Like, isn't there something else that you want to do here? I mean, you just got baptized. I mean, shouldn't you have a reception? You know, I mean, take some pictures, kind of like, you know, put on your special baptism outfit and go, man, you, that was a great baptism. No, no, no. The Spirit is driving him in there. Why in the world did that happen that way? Why is this the first thing? Well, I don't know if you know this, but um, Jesus is referred to in the book of Romans as the second Adam. Have you heard this? It's the second Adam, sometimes called the last Adam. You remember who the first Adam was? You know, the one in Genesis 3 who, when his wife was tempted by Satan to eat of the forbidden fruit, he kind of joined in with her and ate the fruit. And that single act of distrust and disobedience plunged him and his wife into death, into a sin nature and separated them from God. And when you read in the book of Romans, particularly in Romans chapter 5, 12, it says, here's what happened to you and me. We inherit Adam's sin nature. We inherit Adam's sin nature. It's not so much that we do particular acts of sin that separate us from God. 
but we do. But when you are born, you are born with a propensity to sin and be selfish. Anybody ever have a two-year-old? Yeah, we don't really need to talk about that much further, do we? That's enough theology for you right there. Nobody tells them to say me and mine. They do that okay on their own. This is because everybody has a sin nature. And this is the number one dilemma of all humanity. What am I going to do with that? Because it comes out. I disobey God. I hurt people. I act selfishly. I'm not a good person all the time. That's the sin nature manifesting itself in our lives. But here's the difference between the first Adam who took us there and the second Adam who takes us somewhere else. The first Adam was passing the sin nature on because he inherited from his disobedience. Uh, the second Adam, Jesus, he was not born of the seed of man. He was not born of the seed of humanity. He was born of the seed of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, his blood wasn't contaminated. And because his blood wasn't contaminated, that means he could offer a perfect sacrifice for sin. The first Adam had all the food that he could possibly eat during his temptation. Uh, Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. The first Adam was tempted once and failed and caved in. The second Adam, Jesus, was tempted three times by Satan himself, and he was victorious. The second Adam delivers us from the acts of the first Adam. So here, here's the what about this whole idea. Jesus' time in the wilderness is a do-over of Adam's temptation in the garden. Because Adam functioned as a representative head of all of humanity. And in the same way, Jesus is acting as a representative on behalf of humanity, but instead of plunging them into sin, he's going to deliver them from sin. This is a whole different situation. And here's the big if on this one. You see, if Jesus doesn't overcome temptation, he can't provide salvation. But he did, and he can, and he will. And the so what on that is good news. Jesus offers us a chance to have a do-over. Anybody need a do-over? I know I do. You know, maybe, maybe you've made a mess of your life. And you're a follower of Jesus, but you just made a mess of your life. And you're wondering, would God take me back if I come back? He will. Or maybe you're living with a lot of guilt and shame because of decisions you've made in the past. And, and, and you've been kind of separated from God. And you're wondering, could God ever forgive me for that? He can. Or maybe you're struggling kind of with the same old temptation. You keep giving into that over and over again, and you're wondering, oh, man, is God even interested in my confession now? He is. 
Or maybe you've kind of played casual with your faith as a follower of Jesus, and you made all these promises about how committed you're going to be time and time again, and God, if you'll do this, and I'll do this, and God did, and you didn't. And you're wondering, will God even take me seriously if I come back this time? He will. Or maybe you've blown off faith in Jesus so many times. You're wondering if you come to him this time and, and you're like, I, I, I want to come to you, you're, you're wondering if he's just going to say, you know what? It's too late. He won't. The invitation is always here. And, you know, m- maybe your, your prayer is, is simply this, God, I need a do-over. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're dealing with, but maybe that's your whisper. God, I need a do-over. You know, the proverb that I read earlier, it was only a portion of that actual proverb. Uh, Here's the rest of it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Boy, that just makes you want to go, just say this with me. Ah. Oh, a longing fulfilled. Mm. And here's the beauty of the gospel. All of our longings, maybe for love, for acceptance, for meaning, for purpose, they're found in Jesus. The ultimate longing that we definitely should have is to be free from the sting of death and hell and condemnation all fulfilled in Jesus. And this mention here, a tree of life, I believe that tree is the tree that was in the Garden of Eden. And the tree of life had the fruit that allowed you to eat of it and have eternal life. You would never die. Death couldn't touch you. But Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, they separated all humanity from having access to the tree of life. Everyone was condemned after that. But in Jesus, we have access to the tree once again. And yes, give me that. And when you take of that fruit and you eat of it, it not only revives your soul, it provides you with eternal life. And maybe God brought you into this room today, or maybe God brought you or brought us into your room today to say, God, that's the fruit that I want. I've eaten the other fruit long enough. I've disobeyed you long enough. I've fallen into temptation long enough. But now, and here's your prayer, God, I want to do over. I acknowledge that I have inherited the nature of Adam that makes me want to go wayward, that makes me want to make life all about me. And I acknowledge that my condition is terminal. It leads to death physically, 
spiritually, eternally. And I acknowledge that there's nothing that I can do about that. I am powerless to take care of that condition on my own. But I believe that the second Adam, the perfect Son of God, the one whose blood is uncontaminated, loved me so much that he hung on a cross for me and he shared his pure, spotless blood to cover and erase my sin. And right now, I reach out and I take that fruit, I eat of that fruit of eternal life as a gift, and I do it by your grace through the faith that I'm expressing right now. And now, I invite you to fill me and empower me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live the life that you had called me to, the life that Jesus is showing me. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's your prayer, I want to welcome you to the family of God, and let's just give everybody who made that decision a hand today. So excited for you, and we want to help you with your next step. And so if you made that decision, if that was your step, here is your next step. Go to Zerifath.org and click on the button that says, My Decision. We want to enfold you into this community, into this family, so that you can join us on this journey of becoming like Jesus, loving Him, uh, loving like Him, living like Him, and serving like Him, all to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth, for humbling yourself, for emptying yourself. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for filling Jesus and guiding and directing him, for leading him to places that he wouldn't go on his own as a human being. But when the Holy Trinity was functioning together, something beautiful happened that wouldn't happen any other way. And we're invited into that story to be forgiven, to have do-overs, to find hope, to reach out, to give other people hope, to build your kingdom, to be a part of something that is unlike anything else in all of the universe. And for those who are still in a little bit of pain today, whose hope seems to have kept getting pushed back further and further, I pray that you would fill that hole with your Holy Spirit, and they would be strengthened, they would be renewed, they would be healed until hope emerges in their life. Teach us how to be a community that loves one another, prays for one another, encourages one another, to borrow the strength of another when we don't have enough on our own. And God, I believe as you unite us as a church, as families, you unite us around one word, one church, one Lord. The world will see in our oneness the truth of the gospel, and they would come to be saved for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen.